Kinet Nauki, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Russian for without torture, there is no science. Uh, what? Or... <laughs> Jeez. Is that it, was is this a... experience of watching the race? Is that what we're well, going Well, in English, you'd say no pain, no gain, because these kinds ah. of races, well, they build character. Uh, I am Drew Scanlon. Speaking of characters, joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I was cautiously pessimistic about Sochi, and so my expectations were low, and they were met. So that's that's totally fine. But we're going to do our best to make sure that this is a podcast that brings home the checkered bacon. Let's go. Uh, also joining us, we have Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Uh, better than I was doing Sunday afternoon when that race left me feeling like I was hungover, <laughs> uh, and I needed to take a quick, like five to ten minute cat nap uh, to sort of get my day back on track. Needed to have some of Danny Kvyat's Christmas vodka. There you go. You know, that guy, that seemed like a good Christmas. I, you know, I will defend that photo (laughs) of uh, his, like, powerful new, like, single dad energy. Um, I think that was just, people can't handle what a prime Russian Christmas looks like, but that was it. (laughs) Yeah, I wish I could rock a a sweater, like... Daniel Kvyat can. Mm. Uh, if you are new to this podcast, a very warm welcome. And if you are new to Formula One itself, uh, we recommend listening to our preseason primer episode, which assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to listen to that, you can go back and look at episode 96. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month, we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons covering racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, primers for other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you'd like to get access to all of that stuff and support the show, uh, head over to patreon.com shiftf one or click a link in the show notes. What's going on this month, Danny? We're doing it. We're doing the big kahuna. We're watching Senna. We are doing a film review of one of the greatest sports documentaries ever made, the Oscar-nominated Senna, made by many of the folks who are responsible for producing Drive to Survive. It is a tremendous movie. I watched it again two days ago. It's like the 10th time I've watched it, maybe. absolutely wrecked me, just like it did uh, the previous uh, times. And um, speaking of this weekend and us getting into the news, it was nice to remind ourselves just how much of a son of a bitch the people who used to run F1 used to be when we get into a conversation about Hamilton and the and the stewards later on today. Um, at least at least it's not as bad as it was then. Uh, well, should we jump right into the Russian Grand Prix, everyone? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Can't wait to get to Sochi and then get out of there. <laughs> right. Well, um, <laughs> perhaps as no surprise, Lewis Hamilton on pole position for this actually it kind of was a surprise because he almost didn't set a lap in q2 yeah uh due to vettel crashing out uh in the second qualifying session and causing a red flag yeah and leclerc was lucky not to hit him too he kind of or get a puncture even he kind of like split split the difference between vettel and his wing made his way through but it totally scuppered everyone's uh final lap they're lucky it was a red flag actually because if it wasn't then that would have been it, you know? They wouldn't yeah. have been able to get around for another one. But as it happens, they, they did have a long, they did have another go as long as they got to the checkered flag on time. And Bono was uh, on the blower talking to Lewis saying, go, 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 go. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Lewis Hamilton does it literally at the last possible second, gets around for a lap. 
uh, and gets on to Q3, uh, during which he set the pole position time. Starting second, Max Verstappen. Mm. Uh, then Valtteri Bottas in third. They Interestingly, Mercedes split the tire strategy. Lewis Hamilton is starting on soft tires, Valtteri Bottas on the mediums. Uh, Sergio Perez, uh, a strong fourth place qualifying. Daniel Ricciardo in fifth. We've got uh, Sainz, Ocon, Norris, Gasly, Leclerc in 10th. Um, then we have, starting behind him, uh, Kvyat, Stroll, Russell in 13th, uh, Vettel in 14th, Albon 15th. Uh, he and Latifi actually uh, were both penalized five places for unscheduled gearbox changes. Mm. Uh, then we've got Grosjean, Giovinazzi, Magnussen, Kimi Raikkonen, and Latifi uh, in the back five. So, uh, Danny, do you want to take yes. us through the start of this sure. race? The, the first and, like so many years in Sochi, most exciting lap of the race um, <laughs> is when those cars have to go two by two or maybe three by three around uh, the first couple of turns. We've had instances here in the past. We talked about turn two being a big uh, flashpoint. We talked about turn three and the dirtiness of the outside of that part, but in a, a good position when you get to the uh, tight corner of turn four. Um, what was new this time around was that there was a, a sort of an orange curb that they had drawn on the outside of turn two. And much like uh, Catalonia, they had brought in a rule, which was that if you cross this line, that you then had to drive around some, I guess they're bollards, kind of, just those foam pads, kind of like Monza. Um, yeah, like styrofoam ones, signs saying, you yeah, have to exactly. Go on that, this uh, side of it. Right, the ones that Vettel made a sort of a piñata out of at Monza this year. <laughs> right, um, you had to, which would take away significant time, especially if you approached them at the wrong angle. Um, so there was sort of eyes on that as as all the cars tried to make. Everyone was basically sensitive about running too wide or getting tagged on the inside of two. Anyway, as they started, Verstappen had a poor start. Uh, Bottas had a good one, was past him almost right away. Um, did you say Ricardo started in fifth? I think he ended up maybe in yes. fourth by the time they got down to the next turn. Um, but the interesting, the really interesting stuff stuff happened sort of uh, in the mid pack in this part of the field. Um, first of all, Carlos Sainz uh, kind of bogs down on his brakes and ends up. In the making Lando Norris, who's behind him, bogged down as well. And then Norris gets in this weird position where he kind of, like, fakes himself out. Um, he ends up losing, like, almost... I think he is almost at the back of the pack by the time this whole series of events is over. But seeing two of the cars uh, break that orange line and have to go wide, I think it was it was Carlos Sainz and it was one of the... Williams? No, I forget. It was a... Maybe it was a Williams. Um... Uh, broke that orange line and had to go around those bollards. And um, when that happened, Norris kind of like had a little bit of uh, understeer on one of those curves and sort of slowed down a bit, maybe anticipating those cars rejoining the track. But they were rejoining a little bit further uh, down the track when uh, after they got around those bollards. Um, Carla Sainz, though, just totally, I guess, misinterprets the amount of turning space he has after that bollard. Um, he's gunning it. It's the start of the race. Adrenaline's pumping. He's trying to get back on the track. And he just eats the wall, just like, you know, smash, smashes his front left into the concrete wall and then gets himself spit back out onto the track in a way that he's quite lucky, actually, that everyone takes a very wide right line through turn three um, as they're trying to hit that first apex um, on the way to turn four in this sort of never-ending um, semicircle that they take. So he was lucky. It was kind of like the Grosjean crash in Catalonia, except imagine a 
everyone was on the other side of the track and was a wet Grosjean didn't make his way over. Um, so he was lucky in that respect. It slowed everyone down. Uh, and then as they got to the outside of turn four, the next bit of action we see is a spinning um, uh, uh, Lawrence, sorry, Lance Stroll. Lawrence Stroll is not in the car. <laughs> He's sent his son out this week. Um, I did want uh, to get uh, Rob's opinion on the on the science thing. Well, no, I just I just wanted to uh, to mention what Sainz said after the race because I think this seems because turn two is going to keep coming up as well over the course yeah, of, of yeah. this race. Um, Sainz hates that corner now. Um, he want, <laughs> he says it shouldn't exist, and uh, he, he sort of explained uh, that yeah he he made a misjudgment, but. Quote, I still think that corner shouldn't exist. It's not a very nice corner to drive around, and it generates these kind of situations. But I just misjudged it. It's still a corner that is not well designed. You saw today in the race just how many people are missing that apex and having to go around the bollards, destroying the bollards. It's clearly not a great corner. I feel like it's like a sign of character, this corner. It's like brought out the true nature of so many drivers. Yeah, you know, so here's the thing. I actually... if we're talking about the corner as a whole, I think he does have a case. Those bollards seem badly placed. Like, I don't understand why you have all this runoff if then you funnel everyone through this really tricky uh, sequence of bollards. And you also throw that um, serrated curb in there to unsettle the cars and, like, further make it tricky. It, it seems like there's too many enforcement mechanisms there for respecting track limits uh relative to what the corner is doing so for me i think i think the corner is fine i think the way it is like it has been turned into this like really tricky uh place of rules interpretation enforcement is the real issue um, and I, I think if they just if they had a, a wider apron of concrete and were maybe a little more uh just use judgment calls about whether or not people safely rejoined or gain advantage. I feel like turn two doesn't become such an issue, but the entire race, it felt like, yeah, it's an easy corner to get wrong because you got so much speed going into it. But that's cool. That's a lot of great corners in F1. The bollard thing was weird. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird yeah, it's angle not just- for it to be at. Yeah, it's not just one thing that you have to be on the left side of. It's like, it's like a chicane or like a like a slalom gate where you have to go quickly to the right and then to the left and then to the right again. So uh, to me, it from uh, science's onboard, it looked really difficult. Like he was trying to go around, you know, a, a much tighter, make a much tighter turn than his car would be able to. But um, yeah, it looked tricky from <laughs> from what I saw. Yeah. And from a safety perspective, it, it caused more safety issues than it fixed like well it's, the, it's not it's, a safety it, thing i guess well, it's not I guess it's it, like a time it, thing but yeah time, uh, it could be safe safety as well because like if you have people coming onto the track at too sharp an angle that could surprise people you like you want to have them kind of going the same direction as well right. but it's just yeah. that it takes such a wide right line there that you can't imagine that yeah, I, I'm sure they had their reasoning behind it, but I'm also sure that the next time we come to Sochi, it won't be that way. You know what I mean? But also, Carlos signs you drove into a wall. So it's kind <laughs> right. of, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of, you know, 
hard to it's like the castle at Azerbaijan like it, it doesn't move it's yeah it's there, it's there exactly yeah yeah but you um, only hit the castle at Azerbaijan if you're trying to do something awesome right like that is that? you know <laughs> you're threading the needle with that one but like you hit the escape the the escape road wall basically mm, yeah less cool um yeah. speaking of less cool though we should return to the stroll thing and yeah. uh yeah this so Danny weird. what do you make of that well, Crofty said originally that, that he had gotten about wide on the curbs. Well, what, what actually had happened was Leclerc tagged him on the exit of the corner. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it was, for me, it's Leclerc getting a little bit too close. He's not wrong that Stroll didn't exactly have a lot of space there left for him, but also it's the start of the race and you're supposed to be that little bit more sensitive of that type of thing and expect people to, to be jostling around. So, you know... He was lucky not to damage his front wing, I guess, Leclerc, but just a nasty place for that to happen, for, for you to get tagged on the outside of a corner where you're just you're just gearing up and you're getting a bit of, uh, you're, you know, accelerating through through the outside of the corner and then somebody hits you, you're like, ah, fucking good night, Irene, especially in a part of the track where there's a wall. So, you know, just kind of sucks for him. He, he probably would have been in, in the mix a little bit more fun there, especially with Ricardo and the rest of them who qualified really well. Um, but we lot, and he's had a great couple of races as well. Um, uh, Stroll has so a uh, big shame to see him crash out. I wasn't sure exactly why he retired. I think maybe one of the suspension was broken or something. Um, but he wouldn't turn his car off, and they were <laughs> engineers were getting a little bit lippy with him over turn the car off, and he was like, "It's off." And he's like, "It's not off. <laughs> turn this thing." He's like, oh, "All right, better do it." For the Fine. car overheats and sets on fire like uh, like it did last time for him. Was it his car that set on fire? Did Monza? No, not Monza. Don't no, remember. Leclerc crashed to Monza. I forget. Somebody, I think it was his. Who? Yeah, it was. Uh, what was the last race? It was at Mugello, right? Yeah, Mugello. Mugello. Yeah, his car. It, that was his car. I think that set on fire. Mugello. Anyway, that was the first lap. Uh, wavy, wavy. Safety car. Same safety as, car. Yeah. The fourth lap one safety car in five years. <laughs> it's so cheap. Yeah. Um, but Yikes. at the at the restart, I guess like six laps later um it's a while but uh, by then like a lot of people uh or a, a few people made up a lot of spots uh Ocon, uh got up three places into fourth place ahead of ricardo just behind verstappen um magnuson made up nine yeah from the start uh and grosjean made up six so they are sitting in ninth and tenth at the restart norris had a terrible um, one i think he's second last uh, he's in dead last, I think, at the restart. Ouch. Um, well, he sort of he sort of got screwed in the whole chaos around signs, right? He did. Right? Like, he like Norris one. basically had to scupper that lap, and then did he come in immediately? Yeah. So he, Albon? Uh, Albon and Russell all pitted on lap okay. two uh, mm. for hard tires, intending to uh, uh, go as long as they could. Um, but yeah, on, on the restart, not much happened at the front. Uh, Norris did get by Albon for 17th on lap six, uh, and then got by Russell a few laps later uh, uh, for 16th. And on lap eight, the other big thing in this race happened. Uh, some unusual penalties handed down yeah. to Lewis Hamilton. Um, who wants to walk us through this one? Danny, do you want to kind of give an overview? Maybe Rob can... Uh, could fill in some details yeah sure so i guess 
before the race, often you have uh, drivers doing practice starts um, just to make sure that the ratios and their engines and stuff feel right. Um, less so about the grip and the part of the track they're in because they tend to do them in these designated spots, which are generally in a sort of a free lane to the right of the pit lane um, exit, but within the pit lane itself. There's sort of like a small little area there, which is generally where people go, but it changes from circuit to circuit. They designate it in the pre weekend notes that are given to the drivers um hamilton asked if he was allowed to do it in the pit lane exit that is part of the track so after the pit lane opens out into the track there is a lane much like a merge lane on a motorway um that pulls out onto the main straight um, uh, there's an elongated one here and he asked if he could do it there uh, bono said a firm and then hamilton did a start right there originally it was reported that he'd done it twice um, and he'd gotten two five second penalties uh, for both of those infringements, but actually, would they clarify later that he had just gotten two five-second penalties for the same start that he had done? One was for stopping in the pit lane, and the other one was for doing the start. Um, so, uh, yeah, he wasn't very happy about this because he was told one thing by his engineer, and he seemed to also think that that wasn't in the rules, um, and he wasn't very happy about it for the rest of the race. Well, it's 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 a weird thing because. It's not. It doesn't sound like it is in the rules. Uh, so the way Mercedes engineering director Andrew Shovlin or, or Shovlin said, uh, in some places there's a box that they paint on the floor, and you've got to do your practice starts in the box. Then other places it's kind of a general area, and often there, if there's a lot of rubber, that's not going to be representative of the grid. And drivers and engineers will want to find a bit that's closer in terms of the grip to expect on the track. And so, like, it is kind of, like, this is a venue-by-venue thing about where guys get to do this. And it does sound like there's a little bit of discretion that is routinely extended to drivers to get a sense for what the practice starts are going to be. uh, To to get a sense for what the the starts are going to be like on the track surface. Because, obviously, after a few practice starts, whatever box they're using is going to have so much rubber laid down on it that it's just not going to be anything like race conditions. Uh, so it sounds like they do extend a bit of discretion uh, depending on where they are, uh, sort of race by race. But you do have – so you have the rules, but then you also have the race director's notes uh, for each event where they do clarify these sorts of specific issues when it comes to the venue you're racing at. And according to Shovlin, uh, those notes were ambiguous. They designated the practice start area as being on the right-hand side of the track after pit exit. Uh, but, you know, I guess from Mercedes' perspective, they didn't say how far after pit exit, uh, you know, the the, the zone uh, extended. So they, they tested the, the limit there a, a little bit. Um, it does kind of seem like... It reminded me a little bit of the uh, of the Monza thing, insofar as yet again you 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 kind of have a thing that is supposed to be specific knowledge to the event that drivers should be aware of or teams should be aware of, and they're kind of being sticklers for enforcing that. The difference is this is not a safety car infraction. Like I understand why they came down pretty hard at Monza. This one uh, seems. Like it was not necessarily bad faith misunderstanding. It's a pretty minor infraction. Um, 
So you know, I, I think Mercedes had a point that there wasn't show show me in the rule book where it says a dog can't play basketball. Uh, I, I understand kind of where Mercedes is is coming from uh, on this one, um, and I also understand why the penalty might have been so frustrating uh, to Hamilton because it was. Especially a track like this one, like they pretty much came down as hard as they possibly could, and they gave him two penalty points on his license at the time. But I believe Danny, they have since rescinded those penalty points. Yes, I see it here in Rob's notes as well. Um, uh, they yeah, for whatever reason, pretty quick after the race, they decided to. Their justification to was that he cleared it with the team. So, uh, like, that's what they said. Like, oh, well, yeah. now that we know it was the team that approved it, I think they changed it to, we'll find Mercedes, because that's Mercedes bad. It's not Lewis's. Mm. Um, but they'd already come in for a lot of criticism, where you had a lot of other drivers sort of looking at the penalty and the super license points thing and being like, this seems disproportionate. Um, it does seem like the consensus among drivers is, you go for the super license uh, points when... There's been a real lapse in judgment. It yeah. kind of feels like these guys feel like those points accrue for things that pe- put people at risk. Nothing about this met that criteria. Yeah, and uh, just to recap there, it's if you accrue a certain number of points, I believe it's 12, um, within 12 calendar months uh, on your super license, um, you are banned for one race. Uh, but then those points from the date that you accrue them, uh, if if uh, twelve months pass, they drop off of your license. Each yeah, um, each each infraction each infraction has a twelve month lifespan, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't uh, think but, we've had anyone in F one ever get banned, right? We've had in F two, um, but I'm not sure if we have an F one. I don't know. I can't remember anybody who got a race ban. Ask for Grosjean. that. Um. <laughs> But in any case, uh, Lewis does now have to drop the hammer because he's got that 10-second penalty looming, uh, which you must take at a pit stop, or if you have no more pit stops, will be appended to the end um, of your race time. <clears throat> so, but if you take a pit, you have to take it, I think, in right. this instance. yeah. Right. So he's trying to get as big a lead as possible on those soft tires. Uh, he tells his pit wall not to bring him in too early, I guess, for that reason. Um, and from there, it, well, we, we do get some backfield battles <laughs> a little bit, uh, lap nine, Raikkonen gets by Latifi. Um, okay. oh, can we, I, can I, I think I forgot to mention that Botas passed Hamilton, didn't he, on the first turn, on the second turn. Uh, but what happened with this B? <laughs> no, <laughs> he didn't, that? he didn't clear the move. Uh, didn't, so he, did he go he, wide he, on two? Is that what happens? Yeah, he uh, he came real close to overtaking Hamilton because you get that crazy draft off the start. And yes. so Botas was closing. Like, there's a good case to be made. P3 is the place to be on this track if you have a comparable right. car. Botas yeah. had it. He came in a little hot at turn two. Uh, and the thing he said afterwards was he, <laughs> he missed his breaking point a little bit <laughs> because a huge bee or something smashed into his <laughs> visor and, like, startled him and he couldn't see. And so he just, you know, he missed his breaking point by a beat. By uh, sorry, uh, uh, I didn't. I really didn't mean to. He buzzed and, right past this. Yeah, um, and what a, so what's a stung? 
<laughs> Sorry. Uh, hey, like I'm a, so I'm a dad. He, he ended up going off and uh, having to rejoin behind Lewis. Behind. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> oh, I hate it. I hate it. Uh, it's a, but it's a weird thing. Like I'm sure it's true because it's just a weird thing. But it just <laughs> yeah. No one's making that up. If there is a thing that summarizes Valtteri Bottas's a year that he's had i think it might be having to explain why you didn't beat lewis hamilton at the start uh and coming and and having to say like you know i hit a b i had a b in my eyes um there's like a special like supercut i want to see of all of the like uh um f1 drivers saying stuff that's super embarrassing do you remember the nico rosberg um, where he used like a sanitary towel on his forehead for the sweat. Do <laughs> you remember that old interview no. he did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He like had to say it, but his English wasn't great, so we didn't know what to call it. Or it was yeah. There's just like this like really great subset of of F1 drivers having to like like speak about things that don't make them sound cool or something. I don't know. <laughs> like <laughs> missing your breaking point because a bee hit you in the face is like there's just something like very not cool about that, which um. Which I like. I like humanizing our our race friends. Yeah, I think I, there's definitely a uh, uh, I don't know, like a Tumblr page for the best driver <laughs> excuses that could be made. Uh, yeah, or you could just go to Roman Grosjean's sure. Facebook page, and that's just full of him making oh, man. excuses. I, mean, I went and watched his onboard at the start, and like he complains about everything he complained about like he was squeezing magnuson and then magnuson got by him and like just touched his front wing and like he complains about that like dude you were you, you were squeezing what do you expect was gonna happen i don't know i i like grosjean but he makes it hard to like him sometimes he does he does at least well, he didn't complain when the safety when he crashed under safety car that time do you remember that Baku. Right, like uh, oh, uh, Ericsson. I think Ericsson hit us. Oh, he didn't say that. His engineer. Oh, did. you're right. Didn't he think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good cookbook, um, though, right? You have that cookbook, don't you? I do have the cookbook. Yeah. Yes. I have not made anything from it because it's all in French. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> What's a souffle? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Speaking of drivers we like, though, the, the Twitch buds, Norris, Russell, and Albon, have their own little battle around lap Ooh. 11, which is really it was fun for me to watch, <laughs> at least. Um, like we said, all had made pit stops on lap two for uh, hard tires after their poor starts. Um, but this is for this is 16th, 17th, and 18th, uh, Norris, Russell, Albon. Russell actually passes Norris uh, with DRS, and Albon follows um norris then tries to get albon back on the inside of turn three but albon keeps it uh now albon and norris eventually do make it past russell in a few more laps but i don't know it was kind of fun what'd you guys think yeah it was it was a fun little duel uh the formula 1.75 racing was uh <laughs> was great today also it was a cool little beat but um remember the way they end up getting past russell is he overcooks it and like completely locks up his left front and yeah. goes like just skittering into a corner but the mic picked it up really clearly and so you could like you could hear the like unholy sound of like a completely seized brake and like Ooh. skidding tire and it was kind of a distressing little like scream noise the car makes as it uh, sort of like shrieks past. It's it was cool because it like again sometimes you see these things at distance and you don't really have a sense for like okay what are the forces at play when you, when you see this happen like what accounts for all that smoke. 
there we got it really perfectly mic'd up and you're like oh that 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 is a machine being tortured so, uh, speaking of strange noises and strange uh, 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 things to look at uh people in the in the in the stands what did you guys make of that actual fans there like quite a lot of them it looked like yeah sitting very close to each other very close some wearing masks some not uh so i mean look um i am living in the deeply politicized covid response of the u.s as we all are (laughs) and so like to me i look at that and i'm like it just makes me a little anxious looking at it because, like, there are so many public events in the U.S. now that we look back and we're like, "Oh, that was a spreader event. That was a major. That was mm-hmm. a major seating event." Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where, um, in terms of things that you can do that are risky, probably attending an outdoor race, not super high, but mm-hmm. nobody masking up. That seems like at that point you're you're losing all the benefits of being outside. Um, but it just seems it seems like uh, this is like one of the common threads to COVID response is like authoritarian regimes and mindsets like correlate pretty closely with like refusing to acknowledge that this is happening and that it requires some like changes to personal behavior. Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't totally surprised, uh, cause that's motorsport and that's, and then that's, uh, uh, Putin's Russia in a lot of ways too. Must yeah. be weird uh, um, wearing a mask and also having earplugs in and also sunglasses. Being in an F1 race is already weird, yeah. you know? Just bring you your have, own driver helmet at that point. Yeah. You have to have so many things on your head to make sure it's like enjoyable, like sun cream. And like, I, that was my hat experience. Yeah, totally. My experience of F1 is like, it's really fun, but also you kind of need to like prepare for being outdoors next to these loud things. And then having a mask on top of that as well. It must just feel like you're <laughs> in a, like you're in a little personal cave at that stage. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, lap 15, Perez strings together a pretty good overtake of Ricardo, uh, taking yeah. the outside of turn two and then cutting back to the inside of turn three for, for fifth place. Uh, I thought that was a nice string of moves there. Well, it's such uh, a shame. Then, that was one of the moments where I realized, ah, it'd be good if Lando was in here as well. Sorry, not yeah. Lando. Fuck. Um, why do I keep doing that? La- uh, the other one? Stroll, Carlos? stroll, stroll, stroll. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh lap 17 hamilton pits and takes his 10 seconds worth of penalties mm. puts on the hard tire and rejoins in 10th place behind sebastian fettel uh though he quickly dispatches fettel with uh, drs two laps later um commentator saying that hamilton can probably get on the podium um which is usually pretty fun to watch but unfortunately for the viewers uh hamilton gained most of his places in this race from pit stops of the cars ahead he doesn't actually do much overtaking. Um, Nobody does much overtaking. No. Lap 38 and 42, Grosjean gets passed by first Giovinazzi and then Vettel. Yeah. Uh, and while trying to defend from Vettel at turn two, uh, goes off and attempts to rejoin the track through those bollards, uh, but can't make the turn around the signs <laughs> and instead just smashes through them. It's one of the like funniest things I've ever seen. It just lo- it looks like... a. a- decent amount before he had to do it he just said fuck it 
(laughs) (laughs) Okay, but tell me, did it not look like the most satisfying thing in the world to just smash the little styrofoam bollards? Like, I saw that, and I was like, I would be driving through those every lap. It was like a video game. He almost gets all three of them. It was like he was trying to collect them for points. Like, he smashes two of them. Dirt three is like all the oh, Gymkhana yeah. events. Like you bust through those things and it's so, so satisfying. Good. Yeah. That was one of my funniest. That was when I burst out. That was like, I was like asleep for so much of this race and I actually like laughed audibly when that happened. It was the most <laughs> grosjean thing I've ever seen. Um, Yeah, we do get a brief virtual safety car to replace the signs. Uh, but the last big thing here I have is uh, lap 45, pretty good battle for ninth place. Um, mm. Norris and Albon again. Um, in ninth and 10th, and then Gasly lurking in 11th. Albon tries to take Norris uh, at turn two, but Norris defends uh, to the inside. Albon, though, has medium tires to Norris's hards, and he tries a lot of stuff, including a, mo- a move on uh, the outside of turn seven, which isn't a normal yeah. passing place. Um, Norris puts up a really good fight, Karun Chandok surmising that he probably deployed a lot of battery power to keep the place. Um, I thought he did a great job as uh, as color commentator. Uh, by the way, yeah, he, we know he, why Brundle wasn't there. He also Alex Brundle wasn't in the F two stuff either. I don't think oh, was he sometimes not? sometimes Brundle doesn't travel. Yeah, like, I guess there's always a few races a year where he just doesn't show up because I imagine like there's a there's a level of flight time where he's like eh no yeah <laughs> Moscow's yeah it's not that far from England so I got it I've done it once I've done London to Moscow once it might be four yeah he's not in maybe? Moscow he's down in the Black Sea so what's what's like London to uh oh, Istanbul or something like right that. of course yeah that's yeah, yeah. a better frame yeah yeah, yeah I, f- I keep forgetting well, Russia is like the biggest country in the world <laughs> it's yeah. big yeah it's big um the upshot, though, is that Albon lost some momentum coming oh, into yeah. that DRS zone, and Gasly pounces, shoots by easily uh, for 10th place. With uh, Kind of sums DRS. up the whole thing now between the two of them a little bit. Gasly I mean, just doing so well. Albon was impatient with Norris. I thought he didn't need to. Like, he scuppered himself. He lost that. that ter- I think it was that turn seven incident where he just kind of, and then suddenly Norris was gone, and he was fighting for survival against Gasly. Yeah, I I agree. I, I think for me, Albon can be frustrating to watch because he does make it look very hard. Um, yeah, whether he succeeds and, or do- doesn't, like he always overtakes. Yeah, his overtakes can be incredible, but they're always kind of the heart, like around the outside of people on these turns. You're like, wow. Um, yeah, he didn't he didn't wait until you know maybe not maybe that's true and chandak was saying that he pushed all that energy in so that he had enough but that means that when he gets to the end of the star finish trade in five turns time maybe he doesn't have that energy you know you got to play that long game not to be a you know a backseat driver driver, exactly yeah yeah i mean and that may be something that just comes with experience you know thinking Mm. that far ahead um who was it hamilton who deliberately slowed down so his the person chasing him would have to slow down and then sped back up so that the person behind him didn't get the drs trigger oh that's amazing (laughs) am i making that up there's a couple of spots so yeah where you can do like melbourne's good for that because of where the 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 marker is interesting uh but lap 48 ghastly has made it up to norris and gets by with drs on the start finish straight uh gasly continuing to look good um finishes the race in that position in ninth 
Uh, but Valtteri Botas takes the cake. Mm. After that Lewis Hamilton penalty, uh, he drops to third. So it's Valtteri Botas in first, Max Verstappen in second, Lewis Hamilton in third, Sergio Perez in fourth, Daniel Ricciardo in fifth. Then we've got Leclerc, another kind of amazing performance from yeah. uh, that Ferrari. Uh, bringing it home in sixth, uh, followed by Ocon, Kvyat, Gasly, and Albon, the last points paying position. In 11th, Antonio Giovinazzi, followed by Kevin Magnussen, uh, Sebastian Vettel in 13th, Kimi Raikkonen, Lando Norris in 15th. Uh, then we've got Nicholas Latifi, Romain Grosjean, and George Russell uh, in 18th place. Uh, not classified work, Carlos Sainz and Lance Stroll both out with... Uh, crashes interestingly in the final uh scoring here oh i do remember this uh ricardo and albon both received five second time oh, penalties yeah. for rejoining the track incorrectly god ricardo's one was the most frustrating thing ever because he was basically getting a pass from his teammate and just overcooked it on two and went over those orange curves and didn't go around the way he should have but but when the engineers came over the uh, blower and said to him look you got a five second for that he was like all right sorry that was my fault um I'll make up for it in the race. And he he, he did. <laughs> was it, it, when was it when they said, uh, was it when they said that he had a time penalty and he was like, okay, I'll go faster then. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which was like, you know, not to not to compare apples and pears or whatever, but, you know, when you hear about Hamilton complaining about his one and also Carlos Sainz complaining about going into ballers, it's just some, Dan Ricardo just always gives me an excuse to like him that little bit more. He's like, ah, yeah. I guess I fucked up. Because you could argue that, like, oh, that's really annoying. Like, it wasn't for an overtake. He was, like, passing his teammate and was just giving him enough space and then just messed it up and didn't gain an advantage or anything. But he was like, all right, yeah, whatever. I'll just, yeah. I'll just take it on this chin. Uh, well, you know, not all that much going on, but I know you're going to get into the drivers' championship points. This had a uh-huh. real effect on the drivers' championship in terms of like it the shuffle. Really did, boy. Between fourth and ninth, it is crazy. Yeah, check this out: Lewis Hamilton on top with 205, Valtteri Bottas with 161, Max Verstappen in third with 128, and then we have here we go. Wow. Starting in fourth, Norris with 65. Albon with 64, Ricardo with 63, then a tie between Leclerc and Stroll with 57, Perez with 56, Gasly's got 45, Sainz has 41, Ocon with 36. Uh, then a little bit of a gap down to 13th place with Sebastian Vettel with 17 points, Kvyat's got 14, Nico Hulkenberg hanging in there with 6 points, and we've got Kimi Raikkonen in 16th and uh, tied with Giovinazzi, his teammate, with 2 Kevin Magnuson has the one point for uh, Haas. Then we've got Nicholas Latifi, George Russell, and Roman Grosjean with zero points. Boy, oh boy. That's wild. Norris in fourth. Albon now has exactly half the points of his teammate. And yeah, just like all to play for, for um, McLaren and for Renault. Indeed. Uh, Mercedes in the constructor standings, uh, a way out in front with 366 points. Red Bull's got 192. Very close third. McLaren's got 106. Racing point with 104. Renault, 99. Also close in that fight for third. Ferrari, a little further behind in sixth place with 74 points. Alpha Tauri has fi- uh, 59. And a big gap down to Alfa Romeo with four. <laughs> Gene Haas and team with one. And Williams still with the goose egg. I... Mm. I it's uh, it's there. It, I, I can feel it slowly drifting away. 
Uh, yeah, not not too many. Uh, if they couldn't pick one at Magello where half the field <laughs> yeah. ended up uh, like being carted off. I don't like. I don't like their odds. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, that was Russia. Should we take it to the news, fellas? Let's do it. Although we covered quite a lot of it in the race, <laughs> there's not that much news. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I guess the the biggest news here: Chase Carey out as Formula One CEO, um, and Stefano Domenicali in. Seems like this mm. was a pretty planned thing, at least. Um, Chase Carey. I believe was the CEO of Liberty Media, was he not? When uh, Liberty yeah, bought Formula One, so. and so yeah. he just says, "Well, I'll run this for a little bit, and then uh, get an F one guy in here." Stefano Domenicali is an F one guy. Um, Rob, do you have any uh, biographical information you've picked up here? I mean, not a not a ton. I mostly followed him when he was part of the collapse of the De Montezemolo uh, mm. era. And so I think Domenicali, in terms of like uh, Ferrari leadership, ended up falling into that uh, little valley between the Ross Braun, Jean Tot era, and, uh, you know, Arriva Bene and Bonato. And so Domenicali was like a respected presence, uh, but I certainly didn't know very much about him. I certainly didn't know this story, uh, which was that apparently, so at the start of the, um, a few, a few outlets, I uh, mentioned this, but Dieter Renkin over at, uh, race fans gives the best summary of it. Uh, so if you remember Luca de Montezemolo, uh, a bit of a firebrand, uh, Ferrari chief, um, I think was fired mid race or was basically like <laughs> was he was infamous for leaving races. Uh, I can't remember how his era like it ended in embarrassment. But uh, the V six hybrid uh, era began with you know Ferrari clearly looking like they had some engine issues, and uh, De Montezemolo ordered uh, Domenicali to fire a number of the engineering staff uh, for the uh, power unit development. Uh, team and Domenicali refused uh, refused the order and was, and was sacked uh, from Ferrari and from there uh, went into what appears to be kind of a corporate journeyman phase uh, you know ended up at Audi uh, I think took over Lamborghini uh, for, for a time and is now returning as sort of a consensus pick to lead F1 uh, and I think it's is really unusual in that this the response to his appointment is uni- universally uh, positive. Uh, like there doesn't seem to be anybody on the grid who is willing to say a bad thing about him. Uh, so this very much seems like the teams have a guy they know, a guy they like, um, and seems to have maintained a very good reputation uh throughout a long career in ferrari um and in and, and f1 uh i think it also works out nicely in that he is taking over now that a lot of the major controversies have been put to bed right domenicali only has to administer the onset of the new roles uh and the budget cap uh type stuff but like a lot of the really ugly confrontations uh, that needed to be had uh, before F1 can move forward have already been handled, and so Domenicali is kind of spared having to uh, to play the heavy. 
I'm sorry, my dog is eating a house plant. I'm trying to like I'm trying to talk about stuff on the Macaulay, and I'm watching Mina walk over to a house plant and like continue to like pull leaves off of it. And it's very it's Mina, good. no. I got woken up by my cat getting sick because he had eaten a plant outside. Animals are idiots. Um yeah, Dominicali, like Rob said, generally is thought of as somebody with great integrity and smarts and he's done a great job at Lamborghini. I think one of the things that raises a bit of an interesting moment for me is that the Liberty people seem to be interested in like breaking new ground with F1 and like trying different things. And uh, a lot of the reporting around Dominicali and just like the fact that the sort of bloodline he comes from is that he's a bit more of a purist. So um, there's a quote from Toto Wolf saying that Dominicali will likely avoid artificial things as uh, boss of F1, and that's kind of the the consensus like seems to be. Well, you know, I'm I'm sure Bernie, I'm sure uh, uh, Bernie Eccleston's sprinkler system was wasn't going to come in regardless of who. But just leaning into those types of different things that we've seen, those types of new um, ways of of solving, uh, you know competition between the cars or anything like that um you could easily put drs in with that you know what i mean like that's a, it's a very artificial um thing i'm not what well, i'm not mm. saying that he's going to get rid of these things what, what i'm saying is that like for a while i felt like liberty were leaning in a more um i'm not sure if progressive is the right w- word but like um that they were mixing it up or they weren't they were weren't too married to the history of f1 in making change you know halo is a good example of that actually um so Dominicali, on the other hand, might be a little bit more of a, an old school sort of F1 head, which, uh, you know, I'm not saying that's good or bad, but it, it might be just a different way the wind is blowing in the future. Or he could make the medicine go down. That's the like that's, that's the way I would hope to look at it is that it like I think Chase Carey was always going to be a little bit up against it because he was the American money guy who mm. came in. He literally um, looks like the American money guy. He does, right? He like, does. Yeah. He he looks like he yeah, struck he black Napoli. gold in his backyard. <laughs> is like, yeah, uh, no, he he very much does, uh, you know, play to that type. And I think you know maybe if Dem- if it's coming from Domenicale, who's been in the sport for his whole life uh, and has a sterling reputation there, and if he's saying things like we got to get on board with these priorities, uh, one way or another, we got to improve the show. Uh, we have to get ahead of our sustainability issues. Uh, that might go over better uh, mm. than it would from the guy who bought your sport. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, CEOs moving and shaking, Alejandro Agag, 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 uh, Formula E and Extreme E founder. Remember Extreme E? That's uh, debuting next year. It's a I'm, I'm like an off-road rally. E. There's yes. a lot of E things. Hamilton there's, there's has the extreme more. E team, right? E44. Yeah, so the, it's... E40. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so extreme E is the off-road like rally racing series. Um, right. Although I don't know that it's point to point. I think they are circuits or it's like a it's like a circular time trial thing. Mm. Um, they're aiming to do... It's electric and they're aiming to do that in like, you know, weird places like a glacier and Greenland and stuff. Yeah. Um, Gonna cut down a bunch. He's of got the another Amazon idea. Make a circuit. A gag has another idea uh, and has launched it. It is the E1 series boats, e boats, electric boats, seems boats. Like, seems like um, a good way. I've seen this. I've seen this in Groundhog Day. That's. It seems like a bad idea putting an electric boat in the water. But. <laughs> 
Uh, the oh boat my. is called the Race Bird. It is a single pilot boat with a hydrofoil. It looks like a pod racer, as uh, Hazel Southwell pointed out. Um, we'll be able to race at speeds up to 60 knots, equivalent to 111 kilometers an hour or 69 miles an hour, uh, on seas nice. and lakes. Uh, this uh, article from Reuters says that the platform is being developed with SailGP, a high-tech sailing series run by five-time America's Cup winner Russell Kautz, who will be a technology and technologic or technology and technical partner. Mm. Uh, Agag told Reuters ahead of a presentation at the Monaco Yacht Club that the time was right for a series promoting electric boats. "Quote: If there is not a market, we will create a market for this because it is something that is necessary." There you go. You could just go back 2022. to ores. Ores also might work. So, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> like green nautical energy, I think is the wind, right? <laughs> like, I mean, I think, I think if you're like, oh man, we need a sustainable, high performance, uh, you know, maritime venture. You're, you're getting into high performance yachting there. Uh, also, I'm looking at this thing. Looks cool as hell. Also looks like an incredible way to die yeah um, could you imagine like a fish like Valtteri Bottas worrying about bees can you imagine like a little little fishy jumps up there well, boom well and also just like I'm imagining if these things race like what if they race near each other and like the wake they throw like I don't know there was a brief period I was interested in speed records and mm. if memory serves more than a few uh, like water speed records ended in disaster because like the faster you go across the top of water the more um, it's like the drag differential the... or something is it between under the water and over the water well yeah there's there's that and also i think by its nature like uh really like like go fast boats are kind of mostly riding out of the water and so they're always on the cusp of like completely breaking traction basically for lack of a better word um they should have called it go fast boats that's way better than (laughs) e1 uh yeah but those looks cool i'm just saying uh also looks terrifying imagine like hitting a hitting a rogue wave in that yeah, it looks scary as hell. Imagine wind at that speed, riding one yeah, of these and like things. A, water becomes like concrete. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, we no shall run- see. No There's... runoff area in the sea. It's all runoff it's area. All, yeah, but it's all runoff area made of concrete walls. <laughs> True. Yeah. It's rough. Uh, they are planning for 2022, so perhaps we will see. Uh, speaking of like long in development racing series, I saw that Robo Race had something this weekend. Mm-hmm have not seen anything from that i feel like they've had like 12 beta races and nothing really to show maybe danny if you want to do some google in there and yeah it looks like they're still that out they had a twitch channel here. uh but okay last yeah, thing we have, we have here we, on the news do you, do you have something to, yeah a little bit here uh, from september 23rd so just a couple about a week ago uh they're preparing for their first competition this on uh cmu this is carnegie mellon university are actually reporting on it there are they the ones that were doing this i forget uh they may have had some kind of partnership but the, the twitch stream was on sunday i think so um, okay okay i might have been what they were maybe you can find their then. their channel and see what they what they actually did i tuned in but it was just like an hour-long thing of hey this is what we're gonna do uh they didn't actually show anything so um, yeah it looks like yeah. they did a QA for this beta event there's a beta event race. 
There's a DJ. <laughs> everything you expect. Um, what was the race? Uh, the race is. I'm. I'm looking at it now. It's. But I think by race, it's just the car going around. It's weird. I'm tracking through this two-hour-long video, and it's a bunch of <laughs> the cars going around interspliced with interviews. Okay, I see a robotic car driving on a beautiful... It looks like the Isle of Man or somewhere. I have no idea where. Sorry. Let me, let me look the at this. The YouTube channel that uh, they have so is really dark, interesting. Danny. It's what? <laughs> Sorry. The entire, the entire event takes place in the Isle of Sodor, <laughs> uh, where Sir Topham Hatt and Thomas are, are hanging out. <laughs> And teaching children the, uh, the the merits of the 19th century class hierarchy. Uh, their YouTube channel is really an exercise in putting out content that says absolutely nothing. So I understand self-driving ca- cars are hard, but like I kind of want to know what challenges you guys are coming up against and solving, and you know, give me something. Um, so. Hopefully they actually had something to show uh, this weekend. But the last piece of news we have here, Will Buxton tested positive for COVID uh, and missed this uh, this race. I don't know if he'll miss the second one, um, but a bit of a yeah, gap. Guess that uh, system is working. Yeah, um, I guess that's a you know proof that that they're doing it right. I guess um, didn't have him on any of the pre-show stuff. Uh, but he has a, a great team around him now, of course. Uh, this year, they have a bunch more people, which is awesome. But uh, uh, yeah, we've uh, we've another gap before the whatever Eiffel. the the Eiffel, the non-German Grand Prix, because they don't own the rights to the phrase the German Grand Prix, because apparently that's owned by the Nurburgring or something. Um, so yeah, because this I thought it was at- funny that Buxton tweeted he doesn't actually have Sky Sports F1. So oh, that's so <laughs> funny. Of course, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Come on, give him a freebie. Uh, in the fantasy standings, if you'd like to join our fantasy league, you can do so by clicking in the link in uh, the show notes. Um, top three here. Number three on the podium of the uh, the leaderboard to date. Black Lives Matter from America. Nice. Amen there. My Heart Will Grow Jean from Canada in the number two slot. <laughs> and leading the entire field, we have Louder Than Life. Oh, from Kenya. Good. Nice. Good names this week. Yeah. Very, very good. Well done, everyone. That's a, that's a, I um, think I've heard that. Well, that's the third and first one. We might have had a name change, though, as well, I'm guessing, for, for the third one. Perhaps. Could be, could be. Like, and it's, it uh, it's pretty close. The lead. To, uh, leader has t- uh, 2,059 points, and third place has 2,035. So it's tight wow. up at the top. Where are we? <laughs> uh, very far down. <laughs> We're in the Russell Should we take this some emails, Danny? Let's do it. Uh, ShiftF1podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails if you're one of the cool kids. I'll take this first one from Thomas. Um, I alluded to it just a second ago. Thomas writes in and says, Hi, guys. A while ago, you wondered why it was called the Eiffel Grand Prix. I assumed it was because um, of Eiffel 65, and we're all big fans right. of um, bl- the Blue Song. Um Sorry, Thomas goes on. Uh, Eiffel Grand Prix and not the German Grand Prix. And I saw an article recently that explained it on Maximum F1. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, It had quotes from the press secretary of the Nürburgring seeming to suggest that they do not have the rights to the phrase German Grand Prix, uh, the name, and so named it after the logical region and circuit is based on. Under these circumstances, it seems dubious that we'll ever see a German Grand Prix anywhere other than the Hockenheim Ring in the future. What do you think? Um, Yeah, isn't that peculiar? That the Hockenheim ring apparently 
owns the phrase. I guess it's the German phrase for it, um, which is in this Maximum F1. Um, uh, Grosspreiser von Deutschland. Yeah, something. the 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 yeah, you're you're right. Yeah, gro- gross price is it von Deutschland? Um, they don't they don't have those rights. Um, which is wild considering the the back and forth that's happened. I guess they were lending out that name to them when they were because for a while the German Grand Prix was bouncing between the two circuits, and then obviously we've had instances where the Nurburgring was also took the title of European Grand Prix a couple of times as well. So it's it's always. You know, a little bit strange, but I found it funny that one of that that must be just like an old, you know, a, a legacy piece of uh, law or, or rights that they had going back. Because it seems crazy to think, like, or I wonder, does does Monza own the Italian Grand Prix name? Does it's probably country by country. Um, yeah, I would but, expect that. Like, it seems weird to me that Formula One would allow them to to do that to hold that, yeah. but like. I guess nothing about German and Grand Prix are specifically Formula One, so yeah, or maybe the Grand they, Prix is it just predated like a general it. Term. Like it predated the 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 World yeah. Championship. You know what I mean? Like it was just a German Grand Prix that that was contract run, is so old. It was run by a German. Yeah, but before, yeah, so who knows? But I thought, I thought that was interesting. We you know we talk a lot about the the new names. You know, the the Baku being European Grand Prix there and. And all that sort of stuff. And I hadn't considered that. But, you know, Eiffel just seems weird to me because my brain immediately thinks Paris. But, you know, I guess what else do you yeah. call it? You call it the the Nürburgring Grand Prix. <laughs> I, don't I don't care. Know. Yeah, good point. I don't care. Yeah. Drew, speaking of not caring, you want to read this next email? Uh, I care very deeply about this email and every email we get. Danny, thank you very much. This is from Jackson. <laughs> who says, Hi guys, I'm a new F1 fan living in Oregon. Welcome. Uh, waking up at 6 a.m. in the morning. Sorry, 6 o'clock in the morning. I really don't like it when people say 6 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> and uh, Jackson does not in this email. I added that. Waking up at 6 o'clock in the morning to watch races has made me think about the possibility of changing the time of day some races are held in order to better fit into the schedule of the growing audience in North America. For example, last season's British Grand Prix was held at 1.10 p.m. GMT, or 6.10 a.m. Pacific Time. Contrastingly, the U.S. Grand Prix was held at 12.10 p.m. Pacific Time, uh, 7.10 p.m. GMT. Perhaps in cases like the British Grand Prix, the race can start later in the day, allowing the viewers in North America an easier time to watch the race. Uh, yeah, I agree. I would love to not have to wake up at order arc 30 to watch these things. Uh, but there are a lot of other things to consider. Like it has to be, you know, uh, daytime for one at the, the racetrack location, uh, for a lot of them, like a lot of them aren't just set up for night races. And I kind of like the mix we currently have between day and night. Like night races are cool, but they're only cool. I think because they're, uh, anomalies. Mm. Um, but I think you can do some shifting, especially like, I also feel like there's a chicken and the egg problem here where they want to have an American audience, but a lot of American audience can't wake up and watch it. Yeah. Um, so they don't make the effort to make more appealing times, but if you made more appealing times, then maybe more people would watch it. Here's the thing. Uh, if you're going early in the day though, you're out of the football window. Like, honestly, I'm not sure it's the worst thing for F1 to be a thing that, like, will hit early in the day or that you have DVR'd by the time you wake up at, like, you know, 9 or 10 a.m. 
because I suspect that like a lot of leagues, you end up sort of counter-programming each other. You can't get out of everyone's way. Uh, I could see it being, especially like this time of year, kind of a net positive uh, that most F1 races are wrapping up before uh, a lot of major American sports are are kicking off. Um, but the the other thing is this: honestly, I love that F1 is a morning sport. I do like no like this is the only thing that has ever made me think about getting into like Premier League. Is <laughs> it just seems so nice to be like up early with your coffee and it's just like kind of still getting light outside and like boom sports <laughs> yeah it just seems yeah. amazing uh, and I think like that was me and F one like like F one was a morning thing that I did like sort of before anything else uh, and sort of uh, became like it was sort of shaped the day uh, and I think it's it's kind of cool for that so I now mind you. When I lived on the West Coast, it sucked. Like it's <laughs> like that that eight hour time difference between uh, the West Coast and yeah. uh, Britain. That's where it starts to get real rough. Um, but I I think like Central and Eastern time is not quite as forbidding. Yeah, I I totally agree. Having just moved, you know, a year ago now from Maryland back to California, it it totally changes um everything like i when i moved to the east coast i missed all the late night football games because i you know last night for instance i was watching that game pretty you know ended at i don't know 10 o'clock or something you know um but the and the soccer games were actually watchable again the premier league stuff was watchable whereas it's just way too early here on the west coast um i will say that f1 tv has kind of made this a bit moot for me because now i tend to not watch the morning races live but I'll watch them almost immediately after they've ended. Like I'll watch it like eight or nine. I'll I'll tune in and F1 TV will already have the stream up. Um, so there's that. But yeah, I, I bet there's a little bit of wiggle room for this sort of stuff because you can see it with the American race. Like they put a, they put on all these races at times that work for the Brits. And it made sense for the longest time because the BBC used to broadcast this stuff for free to the entire country. So it was the it was a massive, you know, in the same way the Italians, Rai Uno would have the, the races on. Like... It was a different sort of thing, whereas now we live in a much more, you know, appointment view sort of subscription based world that they're not really getting that big mass audience that they used to um, by having it on public stuff at a, at a good time of day, you know, afternoon on a sa- on a Sunday, really good time to have some free sports to sit back and watch. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a little bit of wiggle room. That's why they did Singapore at nighttime as well, I think, because otherwise it just would have been who's going to watch this race? It wouldn't have been, would have been such a nightmare. It wasn't far enough east and wasn't, you know, closer to Europe either. Um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, we'll see. I feel like if they haven't already changed some of those, they're probably not going to do it in the next couple of years, but, but who knows? Uh, Rob, do you want to get this next one from Brady? Yeah. Uh, Brady writes, just want to say thanks to you guys for recommending F1 TV's pit lane coverage. I expected to be switching back and forth in the sky and pit lane coverage, but I ended up watching the full race on pit lane. The commentary was great and always on topic. The coverage was even better. The addition of two onboard feeds is integrated really well with the commentators referencing the screen numbers. I think I'll continue watching on pit lane for the rest of the season. You guys are the best. Thanks. That's amazing. I I was going to do it and I totally forgot. Did you guys do any pit lane viewing this weekend? Uh, only when I went back and watched some of the race for uh, notes for note taking. Yeah. yeah, we. I think um, we ended it, up like same deal. Uh, I, I've only been um, 
the way that I do it is like just through the ESPN app and that's just the main feed. But like, yeah, uh, I, I really want to try this. Rob, did you give it a go? I know you had in the no, past. No, so I watched a bit of it uh, a couple a couple races back. Mm. Um, but usually, I'm watching it on TV. So, yeah, I think I'm gonna go back and do that again. Give it a second watch. Um, myself and Drew were talking a couple, maybe it was last week about both of us have now kind of depending on the race. Like I, I'll sometimes just not take notes during the race and I'll watch it again later because we obviously take notes for the podcast. Um, because I found that taking notes. So often I take ridiculous amounts of notes and then we end up like, why would, why would we care about this one innocuous thing that happened on lap 30, 38? But, uh, but it did take me out of the moment of enjoying the race. Um, so I think I might go back. Yeah. And, and a lot of times you don't know what is going to be relevant. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So like half of it ends up not having like its own little arc or whatever. It didn't really matter. Right. Um, so yeah, I might go back and give it a go. Um, from watching online to watching in person, this one comes from Chris in Dublin. So I guess it makes sense that I'll read it. Um, so with Imola trying out a two-day race weekend, the other talks of cost-saving in F1, the idea of scrapping Friday practice altogether has been closer to reality and that I think it has been for quite some time. It makes sense. Less running means lower costs. And for lots of circuit teams don't really get uh, data they need anyway however as someone who has been to four grand prix sorry grands prix uh, i really hope that these sessions don't go away friday is the cheapest day to attend an f1 weekend and has most of the running time three hours of f1 cars on track compared to two on sunday uh, and saturday lots of uh, tracks also allow spectators to sit in any grandstand even with general admission tickets so it's one of the few opportunities to see f1 cars go around say maggots and baggots without having to pay an arm and a leg for grandstand seats maybe my own personal experience as an f1 nerd who wants to take nice wallpaper pictures isn't as important as the drive to reduce costs in the sport but if friday practice went away i think it would be a big loss to the fan experience at an f1 circuit uh, have a good one your podcasts have kept me reasonably sane for the past six months of working from home and it was chris in dublin yeah i don't know where this has landed i know there was talks about it maybe the covid stuff has kind of like made everything a little bit weirder um i always enjoyed the friday when we went to races the the austin one was fun because it was kind of uh i don't know just it's kind of like your toe dip you get to you get to like go and like enjoy the what what the track is like kind of more so and care a little bit less about you know sitting down and watching the thing you want to see yeah you get oriented also because it's a big area you don't know where you're going big time uh i can see this being like if you had young kids like taking them to the practice day for cheaper like they don't know it's just cars going around like that'd be a really uh, a much cheaper way to do to do that and way less fewer people i went to practice the first time i went to a grand prix was why or to a weekend was uh practice tickets for somebody who had a weekend pass and they gave us the practice day on a friday it was in abu dhabi it was the the as marina one and there was like no one there but it was it was brilliant because like you just got to see one after the other after and the cars also spaced themselves out so there's almost always cars on track which isn't the case during mm-hmm. a race um or, or qualifying or qualifying yeah that's true um a lot of support races generally too yeah, like F2 has been great. F3 has been wonderful. That's already wrapped up. Uh, F2, we've got, I think, three more races left. It was in the, the Sochi one was good, actually. Um, and then they often have the sort of weird, like, classic car stuff or things like that. And also, like, F1 circuits have all that silly tash, like, you know, put your face in in this hole and pretend you're Valtteri Botas or whatever, you know what I mean? Or, <laughs> um, 
So yeah, it's I, I it I've would be always a shame wanted too. to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's I think it's the most accessible day for sure. And I think that, that makes a big difference. Uh, I did want to point out uh Grand's pre here. I I have been confused about this for a long time. Uh <laughs> And I, I've spoken with a friend of mine who is a French linguist. Oh, wow. Okay. And I think I have this down. Okay. Grands Pre, G-R-A-N-D-S space P-R-I-X, is how you would spell multiple Grand Prix. But when you say it, you say multiple Grand Prix. It doesn't sound any different. You just say Grand Prix. Because that's how you pluralize stuff in French. Okay. Okay, so you don't actually you say you just say Grand Prix, but the context of it. But it written, if you're writing about multiple right. Grand Prix, you write an S. You put an S after the Grand. I have been to, I guess you would say Ah or something. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. So I should say Grand Prix. Know. If in people future. have any more insight, let me know. I'll say Grand Prix, but I'll just say with an S. <laughs> ground with an s i think you could probably also say uh grand prix you think you, you i guess maybe yeah because then we're not Vocally, speaking french right but you can't yeah. write it like that yeah so Merci fingers beaucoup. crossed that i've got that right <laughs> uh yes thanks emily um that's it for emails uh you can also hit us up at shift f1 podcast on twitter I'm at Drew Scalen. That is at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world? Race around It's beautiful blue globe. Yeah. <laughs> IndyCar has two races uh, this weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. The World Superbike Championship is at Magnicour in France. XF1 uh, Motocross. <laughs> Motocross Grand Prix uh, is at, whoa, where is this? The Cosodromo Ciclamino in... Hope it's in Italy. <laughs> uh, it is in Italy. <laughs> Good. Uh, for the MXGP of Trentino. Nice. Uh, Super GT is back uh, at the Fuji Speedway in <gasps> Oyama, Sunto District, Shizuoka Prefecture. It's <sighs> a good one. Thank you. We have... Camping World Truck at the Talladega Speedway for the Chevrolet Silverado 250. The NASCAR Xfinity Series also at Talladega for the Ag Pro 300. And NASCAR Cup Series. Oh my They're God. also at Talladega Yeehaw. for 188 laps, 500 miles. It's called the Yellow Wood 500, spelled Yella wood 500 y-e-l-l-a yep in intercapped wood just make wood camel camel case camel case pressure treated lumber trusted for 50 years it's got a bunch of beavers on the logo looks like nice lumber you know it's good damn look at those trellises i know right that's a mortise and tenon joint if ever i've seen one don't know what that means. Well, that is Russia. Uh, we have the, the yeah. The next episode will be. There's no race this weekend, so the next episode will be pre Eiffel Grand Prix. Well, we will talk about the Nurburgring. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good ring. It's up there. 
with the best of rings. It's better than Sochi, <laughs> which isn't hard, to be honest. Uh, Man, so- Sochi and picture... Paul Ricard really going at each other for biggest stink of the year. Rob just liked a picture in the Discord chat that yeah. looks like the next pack for uh, Rainbow Six Siege. Oh my god! If it was all beavers, that's a that's a great number of beavers on the Yellow Woods marketing. Don't ask me anything that's going on in that image. Um, that is, those are Yellow Wood beavers. I don't know why one is ziplining and is wearing a eye patch and has a bandolier, um, but there you there you have it. Um, well, so uh, I guess uh, I guess Drew, Drew has a thumbnail. <laughs> uh, an esports gamer, B sports. Uh, okay, yep, they're back. Wait, One, wait, uh, wait, hold on. Uh, now, now we're getting to the bottom of this shit. Um, <laughs> so they're bragging just... about their good marketing campaigns, and oh my god, this links to a YouTube uh, page. Um, oh no! But all it says is. Uh, They've they've won a, they've had they had a recent award winning work starring a ragtag team of sneaky beavers. Oh, um, sneaky so, beeves! Yeah, we can we can all do some research on Yellowwood. Uh, Is that week. one smoking? Does he have something in his mouth? That's reckless. Well, Somebody's smoking around wood. What are, what's wrong with these beavers? Haven't they seen what's going on here? Night. Piece of wood. Uh, huh? There's a there's a like a Boy Scout and pilot. Beaver, because he's got goggles and the neckerchief. Yep. Uh, then the the middle one looks like he just looks like a longshoreman. Well, he's got he's got sort of that watch cap type thing. Um, Why was yeah. so he's like he's the SAS badass? Um, I see. That, my, like, yeah. My personal favorite of this is that to make the beaver stand out in the foreground, they haven't like put a blur on the background or anything. They just dropped the opacity on it, so uh-huh. the sky is kind of a sickly gray. <laughs> which right. which really upsets me as a as a graphic designer. It, I think that's irresponsible of them, to be honest. Wow, the things you learn on Shift F One. Mm. Uh, if you would like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus podcast episodes, you can do so at patreon.com dot com slash Shift F One. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a good race weekend. We will see you all next week. Meow.